the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, to this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, Part 2. And joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And it's always a treat when we have former high-ranking government official from two, count them two, presidential administrations, Mark Everson. Mark, welcome back. Gentlemen. Yes, sir. And with that, we move on to uh, two weeks before the August 2nd primary. Voter enthusiasm in Michigan appeared to be lacking if the rate at which absentee ballots were being returned is any indication. Statistics provided by the Secretary of State's office uh, late Tuesday showed that only about a third, 34%, of the 1.16 million absentee ballots sent out had been filed or filled out and returned as of Monday, the, uh, just 15 days before the primary. In the last midterm election in 2018, 44% of absentee ballots had been returned two weeks before the August primary. Will this drop be made up by post-pandemic in-person voting, or is this an indication that the GOP primary candidates for Michigan governor are not very exciting? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to lead toward the second one. The, I think the other thing, too, is a lot of voters are confused with new districts. So many voters are now Good point. in different districts and have different... Uh, different people to vote for than they did last time around because of redistricting. So that may have discouraged some people, too. Well, that will allow us to uh, have the system of government that we want, those who are engaged in the process. The others can take what they get. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I don't feel so bad. People, many people feel very bad. Well, they're not voting. Well, if they don't vote, uh, that allows the people who are in the process of uh, joining uh, the activity, political activities for electing people, to seek their will and to work their will. And I don't see what's wrong with that. The other people do not necessarily have to be involved, but we encourage them. But you can't make them. So we move on. I mean, historically, if we, if, we, if we get anywhere near 20%, I'll be surprised, because it's rarely going beyond 20% for a primary like this. So 
and I'm going to guess this year it'll be notably lower than that. But as I say, 20% is kind of the the top end of the possibilities there. Well, former presidential candidate and U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont will hold a get-out-the-vote rally on behalf of U.S. Representatives Andy Levin and Rashida Tlaib Friday in Pontiac, four days ahead of the August 2nd primary. Levin's campaign announced the event, which will be held at 6 p.m. outside the Flagstar Strand Theater on Saginaw Street. Both Levin, Democrat from Bloomfield Township, and Tlaib, Democrat from Detroit, are members of the Democratic Caucus's progressive wing and face primary challenges. Tlaib is facing Detroit City Clerk Janice Winfrey, Lathrop Village Mayor Kelly Garrett and former State Representative Chanel Jackson of Detroit, but is widely expected to win, having an advantage in campaign cash and name recognition. Levin, meanwhile, is in a tough race in a newly drawn 11th district that includes Pontiac against another Democratic incumbent, U.S. Representative Haley Stevens of Waterford. Sanders has endorsed both Levin and Tlaib. Tlaib is also part of a rally in Detroit this Sunday with Democratic representatives um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilan Omar of Minnesota, and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts. Does Bernie have the appeal for this type of event, of event that he did uh, four years ago? No. No, I don't think so. Probably you know, not. too much has changed, and, and too much of the Democrat uh, uh, party uh, practices that have exposed. Paul, remember the when, when, you, when you and I were at uh, the event that, sure. that they had at Ballinger Fieldhouse uh, over at my community college yeah. when Bernie was here, and that was that was very hurriedly put together at the last minute, and it was packed. Yeah, packed and did a lot of energy and excitement in the room. I don't think you're going to see that. However, with a primary, all you need to do is mobilize a small part of your base yeah. to win, especially when you've got you know, several, three or four candidates. So I think even without the excitement, it may make a difference because, say, a small increase in turnout can make a difference for any of these candidates, unlike a general election. So you never know. But I, but I think you're right. I think the, you know, the energy that we saw few years ago is is probably long gone for bernie isn't it different too i mean it's the race you describe and uh you know you have two incumbents people know about those individuals they're less aren't they less uh susceptible to a pitch from an outsider uh, no matter how what their stature is if they know at least in that one race you're describing they know both of their reputations, so they're they're, yeah. they're more inclined to choose, aren't they, based on what they know? Yeah, you I think, think you're so. right about that. Think I, so. I think that um, that Talib is in uh, in pretty good shape, but um, this is uh, a really tough one for um, for Levin. Oh, uh, he's Levin in because he it's a new district, and there'll be a lot of voters who had not voted for him before or not. And well, you know, this is one of those situations where because of the, the redistricting, the new lines being drawn, this is one of those where two incumbents are going against each other yeah. in, an, in mm -hmm. a new yeah. district. Yeah. Right, but he's, he's been in a good at least 10 terms, hasn't he? More. Maybe yeah. 
And, and Levin uh, has uh, some stunts going for him that uh, gets his name. Well, Le- Levin's a, a, a name. big name in yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Is is he is he Carl Levin's brother, Paul, or? Uh, yeah. Oh yes. Yes, yeah. and uh, Carl Levin. I thought Carl Levin was the smartest guy in the Senate when I. I thought was, he was uh, too. He's a very sharp yeah. guy. I, yeah. And I'll digress for just a second, but he he, he uh, was um, he had a worldview that was you know it wasn't out there, but it was he was on the liberal side, of course. And he, I testified before him numerous times just because he ran the permanent subcommittee on investigations, and he was one of the few senators when he would ask you a question, if you gave him a response that was a little bit different than what he expected. He wouldn't just go on to the next question. He would try to understand what he got wrong in his <laughs> presumption, and yes. not because not because it was going to change his worldview, but because it was going to change his tactics and his analysis of the problem. And uh, and, that was and his difference. and his ability to analyze information. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, also, those, go ahead. No, there's too many of those. Too many of the representatives and senators. They 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 ask a question and uh, you know did the sun rise today and then then the witness says no and then they just go on <laughs> to the next question what time did it what time did it go rise you know what time right. was sunrise today they they have and, not they have not digested what the witness says and another unique point about Carl Levin he could bridge people of color of religion. Of politics, money, and various uh, degrees of wealth together, men and women, and he could say things that other people would not dare say, and he could get right. away with it. No, uh, he was a uh, class. <clears throat> yes, he, he was a class ask, guy. He disagreed with very, very successfully, and, and be honest yes. about it, and not really be hostile about it. He yes. could handle it very, very well. That's what I liked about him. I've been in yeah. his uh, sessions many yeah. times. Uh, let me say the other thing. You know, he chaired our. I didn't work with him on armed services, but what he did there was he was a supporter of the military, but he held it accountable. And and uh, that is that's a tough role right now. We you sort of either one way or the other. You're all anti-military and anti-foreign intervention, or you're you know down the line favoring the troops. And I thought he, I thought he did a wonderful job of, of both elements of that uh, responsibility as chair. And I hope that the critics out there will understand that I uh, ex- exonerate uh, Levin because it, these, these are not political responses. These are, political, <laughs> these are responses that's made in truth and thought. Henry, Henry, it's nice of you to exonerate uh, the former senator for being a Democrat. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, he was. Uh, he could have been a Republican and been as good as he is as a Democrat. Well, I, I, I think he was Michigan's longest serving senator. I believe. Yes, he was. I think you're right about yeah. that. Uh, I think we got time for one more before the break. State attorneys have appealed a recent court ruling which found the Michigan legislature unconstitutionally adopted and amended a pair of petition initiatives in 2018, including one which would have raised the state's minimum wage to $12 an hour by 2022, a little more than $2 more per hour than it is currently. 
Court of Claims Judge Douglas Shapiro's Tuesday ruling voided a pair of laws adopted by the legislature in 2018, instead returning the laws to the language originally proposed by petition organizers. In 2018, advocates for a higher minimum wage gathered signatures to raise the state's minimum wage to $12 an hour by 2022, but the Republican-led legislature amended the initiative to gradually increase it over a longer time period with it getting to 12.05 an hour in 2030. Will this ruling affect other citizen initiatives that the legislature might take up to keep off the ballot and soften during passage? I think it'll deter that that adopt and amend process, which was frankly was considered even a stunt when they did it. I mean, the the idea was that to to avoid having to to put the thing before the voters, the legislature could adopt an amendment or could adopt a, a piece of legislation. But that's one of those strategies but, we talk about from time to time that are supposed to be emergency options that are yeah. becoming more commonly used. And it was done Sounds during like the lame duck session as well. But, I mean, clearly when it, when it was done for minimum wage, it was done to dilute the effect of the initial legislation. Right. And, when, and they knew they were doing it. It was no accident. So I think it, this may, may blunt that procedure where... The the adopt and amend process will be will be undone, and clearly they can still adopt the proposal straight out, but you can't change it in the process, and particularly you can't undo what the the voters were trying to put in front of the the, uh, the public anyhow. Uh, so I think that may be a step in the right direction for clarifying that process. Seems like the uh-huh. legislature did something similar um, over uh, the emergency manager law. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tom, let me ask you this question. How much impact did the rise in the standard uh, living wage have on the growth of uh, inflation? Because everything changed, and everything took off in that direction, um, uh, with, particularly with McDonald's and others who followed suit. Yeah. Yes, how, how it's, in, it's interesting you bring that up. I don't know that I could um, adequately ask our economist on analyze that, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's something that should be discussed because uh, all of a sudden the country's in disarray, and we we should learn. We always this. hear before we always hear before the wage goes up that what's going to happen is it's going to drive prices up. <laughs> we knew that this, we, but. But we didn't. We right. don't always hear after the fact that prices went up because wages went up. We're hearing a lot of uh, economists and analysts are saying it's about supply and demand and uh, supply chains and and um, distribution and and all of these other things and staying completely away from the wage part of it and yet there have been news reports in the wall street journal and other places that um after a big surge in wages wages are coming down in some but, but, uh, places but, hey i gotta take a break but, here henry but we'll we'll come right back to this okay. uh, when we return um 
If you're uh, listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll return with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov 
slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, and we've got... uh, Let's see, um, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined this week by Mark Everson. Welcome back, everybody. Um, and I want to pick up where we left off before the break. I didn't cut Henry off this time. I actually beat him to the punch. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was really quick. I, I, I heard he was about to say something, and I thought before he got right in the middle of his first sentence, I'd have to cut him off, so I, I jumped to the break. But uh, you were about to say something, Henry. Let's pick yeah. it up there. And I'm so glad we have our guest here, who is a great speaker and uh, also from one of those agencies of federal government that can understand this. When you stop and think about the moniker, uh, inflation, it's too many. Inflation is is defined as too many dollars following too few goods. And it does make sense that... This is a sign of um, of causes that could move the needle on inflation. Uh, too many too many dollars following too few goods. That makes sense. And and I was wondering what are you th- what are the uh, thinking of the roundtable about this cause of inflation, possibly. Well, I think I think the, the reality. I think you're right, Henry. The, the increase in, in in government spending and dollars during the COVID certainly is a cause for that. On the other hand, if we hadn't done it, we might have seen a depression that would be much worse than the inflation we're seeing now. And yeah, it's, it's a problem. But if we had not done that, we would have had, I think, much worse consequences for people being unemployed, not working at all, and we would have had some very serious deflation and a lot more unemployment and people out of out in the streets if we had not had those various programs during the uh, the worst the worst months of the uh, of the pandemic but we've gone through this in the past and we know a lot about inflation from the second world war and prior to sure. that and after that and so on and so forth we saw, so we, we, we saw it after well you're, you're right we saw a big inflation after the second world war too for the same reason a lot of government spending during the war for all kind of military activity that money pumped into the economy pumps up prices. Well, we should probably expect that at certain factors, and I think that we do. But yeah. uh, one is probably better nipped in the bud early. Well, a couple, for example, the government threw all that money to people in those incentive checks. Go ahead. And again, that was uh, the moniker uh, that uh, creates inflation. And sure. now we're trying to deal with it, and we don't know where we're going. We don't even know whether we can come off of, get off of this slippery slope and reestablish the yeah. principle of American democracy. 
Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, it's yeah, sort of like you started. that I use sometimes is it's kind of like a miracle drug. Yeah, the, the spending can cure some problems, but like any kind of drug, there can be side effects. And one of the side effects yes. of spending is inflation. A uh, couple, couple points here. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned is that generally the argument against increasing the minimum wage hasn't been about inflation. It's usually been about employment, that there will be that companies will cut back, you know, McDonald's will further automate and uh, they won't have as many job opportunities. The trouble here has been the size of the workforce. So people are working again, but the labor force participation rate is, is down from what it was. And I do think, uh, Paul, that, that the, the spending here was too much and that people have uh, it contributed to the inflation, but but so did the supply chain problems, not being able to get things True. from China and Vietnam and other places. Um, but uh, what you've had is, I think, uh, too many people are sitting sitting it out. And I'll give you a, you won't like this <laughs> story, but I was in Scotland recently um, with my son who goes over to a program over there. And uh, it was one of these disasters where uh, we got there on Wednesday, but the luggage didn't come until uh, Saturday, and uh, it it was. And the people at the hotel, fine hotel, you know, small, about two dozen rooms, they were very short staffed. And I said to the woman at one point because she was she was in on the day we were checking out again. She'd been called in to work. She had her three and four year old daughters there with her, and I said, uh, "Geez, it's tough." And she said, uh, "Yeah, it's it's getting worse." And I said. There are still a lot of people in the United States who don't want to work. And she said, it's uh, over here, they're waiting for the next handout. And I know that that's a simplification, but a certain number of people have gotten used to living on, on the checks, and they say, I'll, I'll just wait until I really need to go back to work. And that's So you've got two things here. You've got the inflation now, and people are, people are mad. I, look, I go into the Walmart, and I buy blueberries, and they're $7 instead of, 450 and uh you know that's uh that that sticks with people and then then you've got not enough people are working even even now i think not enough people are working so certain sectors of the economy are really short staffed they really yeah i know you see help wanted signs in front of almost every every store or every every business around town here uh, i hope our audience will pick up on what you what was just said and consider that has points uh, to make uh, before the legislature and stuff like that so that more and more people understand that we need to be accountable for what the actions that we take that's driving our country to its uh, uh, devastation point. Yeah, and I do think that this is, uh, this is to some degree self-correcting because if we do get a recession, people, the same people have been very picky and jumping you know, jumping ship from one True. business to the next. You know, they they had a salary of eighty thousand, and somebody offers them, uh, you know, ninety eight, and they go. But they, they as as said, they're last in, first out, oftentimes on uh, uh, on companies. And uh, yeah, I was reading today. You know, apparently, uh, you know, Facebook has put out a, some pretty stern warnings to its employees, and people are spooked by that. So there may this may you know, in the terms of the labor force, it may change fairly quickly. But I, I do think, uh, you know, the Biden administration is trumpeting, oh, the gas prices are coming down and we're going to sell more out of the 
Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I think that's a factor. Maybe that's going to help a little bit, but I, I think it's the food and the other stuff that's really, uh, that's not going to be changed between now and November. And, and I think that's really damaging to the current administration. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to move on to a couple of things here. Um, a federal jury has found former Trump advisor Steve Bannon guilty of contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack. The conviction is a victory for the House uh, January 6th Select Committee as it continues to seek the cooperation of reluctant witnesses in its historic investigation. It is also a victory for the Justice Department which is under intense scrutiny for its approach to matters related to the January 6th attack. After nearly two days of hearing evidence and witness testimony, the jury reached a unanimous verdict on the two contempt charges in less than three hours. Bannon will be sentenced on October 21st. He faces a minimum sentence of 30 days in jail, according to federal law. If Bannon testifies now, will this finding become moot or perhaps mitigate the sentence? Hmm. No, he'll get b- both barrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's going to do uh, some time here, you know, yeah. 60 days or, you know, 90 days. I don't think it's an important point of uh, how we operate. You don't get to choose and then say, oops, sorry, I fought and then I lost this. I mean, uh, because it, I think he could be actually mandated to serve like a year or two, and I don't think that'll happen, but I don't think it'll be just a, a, a total like, okay, probation or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen at all. Judges uh, take this kind of thing seriously. And frankly, I think I think Bannon would, would almost make that part of his persona if he, if he, if he ends up serving some time. I, I can see him coming out of that, uh, waving his fist in the air as he's released from from jail for a while. Um, well, I think yeah, that's if right. He, if well, he does a little time, would, he can put out a rap album. That, that's right. <laughs> who, who was the, the uh, help me out, guys? Who was the Whitewater? There was uh, somebody who refused to testify and ended up going to uh, prison for Whitewater for just that reason. And uh, oh, that's back right. Back in the Clinton uh, days. Yeah, um, a lady. It was a woman, and and you know she wore that as a badge of courage. Yeah. And like I said, given Bannon's attitude, I can see him doing that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's right. Well, here's one that we talked a little bit about last week, and I wanted to bring it up again when Mark was here. Secret Service investigators were scrutinizing the phones of 10 Secret Service personnel that contained metadata showing text messages were sent and received around January 6, 2021, but were not retained two sources told CNN. The scrutiny came after the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General asked for the text records last year of 24 individuals at the Secret Service who were involved in January 6th, but only one text had been produced. After the issue spilled into public view this uh, month, the Inspector General launched a criminal investigation into the matter, and lawmakers demanded answers from the Secret Service to go back and find out what happened to the texts that may have been deleted, but the Secret Service's internal investigation ground to a halt after a July 20 letter from the DHS Inspector uh, General informed the agency there was an ongoing criminal investigation directing the Secret Service to stop its own probe. 
How secret is the Secret Service allowed to be? So, hold, hold on a minute. Let me. There's one more thing in here, one more development in this, Tom. That's very important. Okay. A couple of a couple of prominent Democrats have written to uh, the Secretary of DHS to say that the Inspector General has to be removed from this inquiry because they're ripped out of the frame that they were not informed uh, when the when the IG knew about the deletion of these texts months ago and didn't bring it to the attention of Congress and. Uh, so I think this is a this is a this is a real mess. And uh, on the substance of it, um, I you know I made some references to the hearings earlier. I don't I don't like the fact that um, the the hearings are talking about uh, members of the Secret Service talking to their families about you know saying give a message to my family if I don't see them again. I don't think that's appropriate. The the, the uh, very easy to document what was going on with Pence and what, what was important there. But I do, I'm disappointed that they haven't looked at the performance of the Secret Service. They didn't look at the performance of the FBI or uh, in terms of really saying uh, to me in a meaningful way, why wasn't the government better prepared to handle what was clearly a brewing storm uh, before January 6th. So, you know, this is terrible. And, and the, the Secret Service, I think, is going to is going to be held accountable for this because they don't want. Uh, it's pretty clear they don't want what was being said back and forth to come out. And they, these law enforcement can be quite secretive. It's uh, no different than the local police department when you're talking about uh, the federal law enforcement. I think. But hasn't Secret Service had a a, a long uh, ongoing policy of? Not sharing information about um, about protection. Yeah, I agree, and that's sort of what I'm saying. That they don't need all of what they would be getting. So I mean, but but the fact that once the request was made, stuff was destroyed. That's that changes it. But on, again, on the substance of it, yeah, I I wish they had looked at certain elements of the performance. But to make more of a case against Trump. I don't think they need to be looking at that, um, at those, at those uh, texts. How is the Secret Service scrutinized, Mark? Well, it's one of those operations that, you know, there are very few people who are interested in it, and the, the ones who are interested in it take a pretty good look at it. It's like a lot of government agencies, CIA, Secret Service, IRS, FBI, um, you you can get in trouble as someone who who has uh, oversight responsibility just popping off about those agencies because of the roles that they play. So you have to be pretty knowledgeable, and not that many members are willing to devote the time to to uh, to do that because it's tough. I mean, Chuck Grassley is, believes in oversight, and he would go after the bureau. It's tough to go after something like the FBI. The same thing applies to the Secret Service. And I really, to answer your question, I really don't associate anybody with oversight of the Secret Service. I can't think of a member of Congress, correct me if I'm wrong, who's, who says, no, I've taken an interest in this because protection of the president is essential and it's got to be done correctly. I don't, I don't know of somebody who's made uh, you know, the Secret Service an area of interest in contrast to parks or agriculture but even or the within, environment. But even within the Treasury Department, of which the Secret Service is a part. Um, no, it's not. It's part of DHS now. Oh, it is? 
Yes, did? that was, we we moved it over there in two thousand and three. Okay, okay. Was that was that your idea? <laughs> we agreed. There were five of us who were on that subcommittee. We that's we all agreed on that one because because the idea is that, and I think this is where that we had a, something that fell down here. You, when you had threats to the country, you wanted to have an alignment between the people who were protecting uh, the leadership of the country and people who were protecting the borders and looking at other issues. So that's sure. why you ended up with the Secret Service, Customs, the INS. Uh, you know, all put in, in into the new department. The idea was to uh, to try and get more cooperation, and it, it's tough because the tradition of the Secret Service is it is one of independence, and you know they they they, they share what they deem shareable. They're not they they want the information coming one way to them. They don't want to give out a lot. Well, former President Donald Trump and former Vice President Mike Pence held dueling events Friday in Arizona, turning the state's upcoming Republican primary for governor into a proxy fight between the two former allies as they inch toward what could be a 2024 showdown. The Arizona race is the latest test of Republican voters' priorities as they decide between a candidate who has built her campaign around Trump's election claims and one who more closely reflects Pence's desire to steer the GOP's focus away from relitigating 2020 and toward conservative policies. Pence attended two events Friday with Karen Taylor Robeson, the former Arizona Board of Regents member who has become the GOP establishment favorite in the governor's race and is endorsed by term-limited Republican Governor Doug Ducey. Trump, meanwhile, campaigned with a slate of candidates who have parroted his claims about widespread fraud in the 2020 election, led by Carrie Lake, a former local television news anchor, who Ducey said Sunday on CNN's State of the Union is misleading voters with no evidence. Also part of that Trump ticket are Senate candidate Blake Masters, who is seeking to take on Democratic Senator Mark Kelly in a race that is crucial in the battle for control of the Senate, as well as Secretary of State contender Mark Fincham and Attorney General hopeful Abe Hamada. Do you think there will be a showdown between Trump and Pence going into the 2024 election? Uh, they, we are already so widely divided on that. I think that that's already a given. Will that create an opening for a different nominee? Who knows? There's DeSantis, a uh, guy he's very much a part of what the think the people of this country is thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that's you know, a possibility. I, mean, I, I can see that as a real possibility that uh, that well, once you had a particularly with the vice president running against him, that could that could open the whole the whole uh, landslide of a number of candidates who would get in the race. Ron DeSantis has no idea. There's no doubt that Ron DeSantis is considered the right, right. favorite son. Yeah, and I think that I, I think that's right. It's it's uh, Pence is going to be treated extremely well in history as one of his actions on the sixth are amongst the most consequential of any vice president ever. 
and um, and he'll be treated well in history. But I'm not sure <laughs> that that uh, since he's a he's appealing to the same piece of the of the primary electorate as Trump is or will be. I'm not sure that Trump won't be hurting him badly. And I think that's right that Ron DeSantis on the other hand. He's playing a very sunny Ronald Reagan-like happy warrior type uh, um, demeanor, and uh, I think he's he's doing he's pretty sure-footed so far. And you know, I really think that Americans in general, and I don't care whether they're good or bad, black or white or Republican or Democrat, they want to get through this decade, and they want to leave this decade behind. So I think that they are moving in that direction. I believe. Jeez, what do you, Henry? Jeez, it's only 2022. We got eight more years to go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well no, I'm all, you know, I don't know if there's something out there, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean. Uh, this, these are storming the Capitol. You know, that's uh, something that scares everybody. You know. As bad did, as you, did you see Liz? Did you see Liz Cheney is getting into the race? I, I, I think there was a column I mentioned last week about somebody suggested a Pence Cheney ticket or the other way around, either yeah. as a possible ticket for 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 the next time for 2024. I saw that. Yeah, but you know, guys, I Who think knows? what I, what I'm really proud of right now in the United States is that we have a two party system. Uh, that's uh, it looks better and better to have a two-party system, no matter how bad they appear, either one of them. But to have those diverse points of view to save us from ourselves, and you know, we need, uh, we need to hear from each other. You know, when we talk about the images from January sixth of those people storming into the Capitol, um, it, as horrifying as as that all is. I was reminded of, of a friend of mine who was uh, teaching school in Germany, I think in the, the late 60s. And she was want, she tell, told me this story some time ago. She was watching television and there were, you know, all of these uh, guys in riot gear and, and military hardware and tanks and all this stuff. Um, wrestling and wrangling with a crowd of protesters and she was thinking to herself I am so glad that I live in a country where or that I'm from a country where this kind of stuff doesn't happen and it turns out it was the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and so sometimes the way something looks may be very different than what it was. And that's why, you know, plugging into some of these uh, hearings and investigations are important to maybe get a little bit more of the story. And I, I think the presentations are um, a little bit one-sided despite the the image that uh, um, Cheney and Kinzinger bring to those. So it's interesting you say that, Tom, because you know I lived through that period. I think we all did, and uh, I do think that one of the weaknesses in today's media and the people we were talking about this before is the people are commenting on this. They have no sense of historical context. 
And those were brutal times. I lived down the street uh, a few, just a few years later from where the weathermen blew up a brownstone in in Greenwich uh, right. Village. And, right. you know, uh, there were, there were uh, you know, Kent State, all of this stuff that happened was brutal. Yeah, that's true. And pe- pe- people act as though some of the stuff that's happened recently, the only time this has ever happened. Yeah, and it's I'm just out of the way. blue. Hey, we got to take a short yeah. break. We'll be back with... Uh, with the X-Files in the final hey. segment. <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. 
She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone. I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the final segment of today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, that segment that includes those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. Well, there's no place like an air-conditioned movie theater on a hot summer day. That's precisely what Showcase Cinemas in the United Kingdom thought when the theater chain offered redheads free admission to escape the current (laughs) heat wave, according to the Washington Post. The company publicized its unconventional promotion Friday on Instagram, free tickets for redheads on the hottest days ever, the caption read. Britain recorded its hottest day in history Tuesday with staggering temperatures up to 104.4 degrees Fahrenheit, according to CNBC. Firefighters already responded to several fires across London Tuesday, and the Met Office, the UK's weather service, issued a red extreme heat warning and urged people to stay indoors. While sun exposure and dehydration are certainly dangerous for everyone, studies have proven uh, or have previously shown that People with fair skin and red hair are more at risk of developing skin cancer. I am constantly joking how I, as a ginger, cannot stand summer because of the heat. So when I saw Showcase was offering free tickets for redheads during the current heat wave, I immediately shared it with my friends and boyfriend, wrote Sarah Jackson, a social media influencer. Is this a good post-pandemic promotion to get people back to the movies? (laughs) <laughs> I guess I guess redheads in the theaters at least. <laughs> well, yeah. I just thought, you know, once you see that promotion out there, you know, it occurs to people who've maybe been avoiding the theaters a little bit. Hey, you know, as hot as it is, it might feel kind of good to sit in a theater. <laughs> that's true. Let so me, that's, that is yeah. true. Let me put a plug in here for a movie. Um, I'm not a horror fan, but I went to go see Nope which is this new film that is about, you know, UFOs out in California. And it's really, it's getting a lot of publicity. So 
Um, yeah, that's a good one to go back into the movies for because it's very thought-provoking, is all I'll say. Because people aren't in the movies. It's older people going in. The younger people haven't returned yet. Well, and I'm not sure if younger people will because they're so, um, you know, plugged into their mobile devices. They, they consume almost all their media through that. That could be one long-term effect of the pandemic, is that it may change our movie habits in ways we hadn't thought about before. That's why I thought I maybe think that's this, right. Yeah, I think that's why I, I suggest that maybe this uh, promotion for Showcase Cinemas yeah. in the UK is kind of a good idea. Uh, you know, on one hand, it looks like, you know, it's a, it's a community service, but it's also a great reminder that it's usually pretty chilly inside a movie theater. <laughs> right. But do they take people who've dyed their hair red? Oh, no. <laughs> or, I don't know. Or how about bald-headed people? Do they, do they get in the special, too? <laughs> uh, it, well, it depends. Maybe if they have freckles. Uh, maybe so. Maybe that would count. That would count. Well, this one is uh, I, I picked out just for Paul. A Florida man recently <laughs> raised a ruckus outside his house naked and threatened a, de a deputy with a kitchen knife. The SWAT team swooped in and apprehended him. Soon afterward, Lee County Sheriff Carmine Marcino stood on the man's driveway in combat gear for a news conference while the suspect went to the jailhouse that the sheriff likes to call the Marcino Motel. <laughs> he's, he's an oxygen stealer and a scumbag, and I'm glad he's out of here, Marcino told reporters. I'm proud to say that in this county, if you present deadly physical force, we meet you with deadly force every time, and we win. It's pretty clean, pretty quick. The Sunshine State has become internationally notorious for the oddball miscreants who populate its police blotters and, and local news reports, known collectively as Florida Man. There are no murders and mayhem like any place else, and then there are the only in Florida incidents like the man charged with assault with a deadly weapon for throwing an alligator through a Wendy's drive through window in Palm Beach <laughs> County in 2015. But an equally eccentric cast of hard-boiled sheriffs make a career of going after these guys. Florida man meet Florida sheriff. Yeah. Um, let's see. Has has uh, Florida man met his match with Florida sheriff, and and should this naked Florida man have chosen to cool off in a local movie theater? <laughs> yeah. Are they offering uh, free movie passes for naked people who show up? I don't know. <laughs> May not be a well, good idea. I would say, hooray for the police officers and uh, the sheriff because they didn't kill the guy well yeah and they should, he had a yeah, yeah they he had a knife they should get that was the, you, you, you know you you shoot until you remove the threat and this was something good this is what we needed to hear more of the police reestablished themselves as principled and and worthwhile and seeks justice fairness well yes Here's here's a uh, <laughs> here's a weird one. A Vermont family's chicken 
is back home after hitching a ride in the undercarriage of their pickup truck and ending up 13 miles away in the state's largest city late last month, a journey that included speeds of 65 miles per hour on an interstate. Mm. Someone having coffee on Burlington's Church Street Marketplace, an outdoor pedestrian mall, spotted the chicken and and knew the bird was in a predicament. (laughs) That's a chicken. That's a chicken on Church Street, and I don't know why it's here, (laughs) Lo Fasano told the news station. What can I do now aside from find who it belongs to? Fasano called rehabilitators uh, Shelburne Farms and the police. They said they they don't do chickens. <laughs> so Fasano took the chicken home, gave her food and a place to nest, and uh, turned to social media. A Facebook post led to finding the chicken's owners in Heinsburg, who were worried about the lost hen. The chicken is now home. Because of her adventurous spirit, the family changed her name from Bug to Amelia after Amelia Earhart, the first woman to fly alone across the Atlantic Ocean. I think about her, and I'm really happy it had a happy ending, Fasano said. Well, we may not know why the chicken crossed the road, but at least now we know how. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I just wonder why the chicken safely. hopped in a pickup truck. <laughs> uh, the other two words is crossroads safely. Yeah. Because it returned home. There you go. There you True. Go. Well, that wraps it up for uh, the X-Files on today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics. And... Uh, wraps up armchair politics as well and and uh, we've got about a minute and a half which is great because I get a chance to say thank you to uh, Mark Everson for joining us today thank you Mark always a pleasure always a pleasure to have you here Mark I enjoy it guys and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer it's uh, time is marching on we got a lot happening in the country and uh, just I think civil discourse is important and you guys are a part of that well, and Mark, we learned so much from you. Thank you. And and Mark will be back with us in about a month. Hey, good gentlemen. All right. Take care. All right. And I want to say Take thanks care, to uh, our roundtable regulars, of course, uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, thank you so much. It's always a treat to have you here. Always good to be here. Have a good evening, everybody. And also want to say uh, thanks to longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, thank you so much for uh, you. your participation every week. It's it's an important part of uh, this roundtable. And and I have to say, I'm I'm pretty proud of the job you guys do. We're proud of the job that you do. Hey, we, we enjoy, I enjoy looking forward to this every week. Yeah, it's, uh, in fact, I, just, I realize next week we're going to be talking about the election. We're going to have the results, I would presume, by next Wednesday, and we'll yeah. see what's uh, we'll going what all over the place. And Janworth Nelson will be with us. All right, well, there's Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope that you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody.
Somner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.